Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Yes, it's great to see Top of Funnel. That's growing. Looks good, but let's make sure we're nailing the other parts of the funnel before we just go hire a bunch of gross people and spend $10 million on SEM and all, and all that. So, but, but make sure you're considering the whole funnel there and not getting lost in that that those vanity metrics that, that everyone loves to see. Type form. Forms that break the norm. Get more data like signups, feedback, and anything else with forms that are designed to be refreshingly different. Learn more and get started for free at typeform.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. Today, I have David on the podcast. He's the SVP of Apollo. He's had numerous experiences as a VP of multiple different companies and ran marketing for multiple different companies. But I'll let you tell, let him tell you the story. David, what's up? Welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. Tell everybody how you got into marketing your journey. So it sets up the background for the talk today. Yeah, sure. So I fell into marketing, I'll be honest. I went to university on a, on a soccer scholarship and English was the, no offense to English majors, I love English. Uh, it was it was what, what they put me in and I just actually felt fell in love with uh, literature and, and, and English and poetry and rhetoric actually was what I, what I spent a lot of time on in college. And I had one credit to go. This was, you know, around 2008 when it was really hard to get a job. I was in North Carolina. I had one credit to go and they said, hey, here's, a, here's an internship course. It's one credit and good luck. And was lucky enough to get a uh, an internship with the distance education department in, at the university, and we were exploring new technologies to make distance education earlier. And uh, one of the technologies we explored was was Prezi, and it was uh, you know online presentations and a new zooming canvas, and was really excited by this tool and met the head of the business side. His name's Drew Banks. He's an amazing guy. He actually went to my university. So very big stroke of luck. I I sent a, an email and, and we got connected. He was in San Francisco. And this was probably after like 200 job applications because you just couldn't get a job at the housing crisis. And I made my resume is what we called it at the time and sent it to him. And he said, OK, I'll give you a job in uh, in support. So I started answering support tickets. And the company at the time was about maybe 10, 15 people. There was the CEO, um, Drew, and, and the chief technology officer there. And I came in a full suit to San Francisco with, you know, my seersucker. And he called every single, you know, person that worked in the office in there just to look at me and was like, this is what they do in North Carolina. It's a very different world. And so I started answering support tickets there. And after you know, two weeks, I said, Hey, I've done all my tickets. What else can I do? And he said, well, maybe try newsletters. And so I started figuring out how to, how to send newsletters. And then I said, okay, I've done this. What, what else can I do? And he said, well, maybe the board is saying that we need to, we need to try SEM. And I Googled what is SEM and clicked on the first ad and learned about SEM. And I, 
I spent the first to the, you know, $30 million there in SEM. And, and that kind of kept going all the way through lifecycle and sales marketing and understanding the, the RevOps side of things. And so I was really, really lucky to get uh, a job at a company that at the time was tiny. And uh, we, we started to grow pretty uh, exponentially. We got to about, you know, 100, 150 million users. We're signing up 4 million users on lots, just wild growth at the time. I mean, for any time, wild growth. And uh, yeah, that, that, that was my start. And uh, was really, really lucky to, to be able to kind of just do everything, just learn by doing. And so my, my rhetoric and poetry majors, maybe they helped a little bit uh, learning how to persuade and be good with words. But I just learned by doing everything and by messing up a lot and eventually get, getting it right. So that's how I got into it. But yeah, happy to go wherever you want. Yeah, I want to talk about go-to-market strategy, but I think setting the stage of what different types of go-to-market strategies there are before we can go on how to set up uh, a actual plan to go to go to market. Yeah, sure. So uh, maybe I can talk about a few of the different ones I've built. So at Prezi, it was this was a engineering driven company. This was when Flash was was around, and uh, it's actually a big challenge to try and make stuff work uh, before a lot of the new web technologies existed. But the company was ninety percent engineers, and so when I would tell them. I wanted to do something or that marketing did something, they would say, I don't care, where's the data? So that, that company was, uh, that was definitely a product-driven go-to-market company. I think uh, I left there and I went to a company called Envision, who we were on a tear back in maybe 2014 to 2016 or 2017, whenever, whenever I was there. And I joined and I said, hey, I joined as, as the, the marketing leader. There was one or two people in marketing. And I created a three-month plan. And the CEO said, or, and my, my three-month plan was, first, we need to build out all of the tracking and data and analytics so I can prove the value of what I've done or, or what I'm doing. And he said, that's going to take a long time. Go do stuff. And so it was very, very, very different than, than Prezi, which was very data-driven, very looking at all the numbers all, every day and the tool was actually not that defensible when it comes to the technology at Envision. And if you think about what Envision was when it started, it was basically a prototyping tool where you could link JPEGs together and emulate an animation for an app or a website. So like at the most basic level, it was hyperlinks on images. That's not that defensible, right? Um, obviously the innovation was the creativity and the way they put it together, but like the technology was not defensible. So there was four or five different companies that said, hey, we can do that too. And so my, my go-to-market strategy there was very, very different where Prezi was completely defensible. No one else could do what we were doing at the time, whereas whereas Envision was not defensible. So I had to create some defensibility within the company through marketing. And so the company had, had some great products for sure, but we were more expensive and there were four or five different competitors uh, coming at the same time. So we invested heavily, heavily, heavily in our content strategy. It was really as much of a marketing-driven go-to-market strategy as it was a, a product-driven go-to-market strategy. Of course, it was PLG before PLG was a cool term, but it was really about the brand that we built and the community that we built that set us apart. My goal that I, I told the board when I joined was I don't want to turn this into a horse race. I want to get so far out ahead in the brand that we build 
but there's no question that people are going to choose choose our company. Um, I, I told the board again, like I don't, I don't care if people know what we do. I want them to want to be associated with us. So we've invested heavily, heavily, heavily in content strategy and our content marketing, and that was the foundation for for a lot of our growth from you know one to a hundred million. So that was that was a very content led content marketing uh, led, led strategy. Um, eventually, of course, with our PLG motion, we built out the enterprise uh, sales motion. But we really started with that that freemium model, and so yeah, that was that was a very very different world uh, than than Prezi. And one interesting story is maybe it's not interesting, but one thing that I learned really really quickly is that nothing that I did at Prezi worked at Envision. Like nothing, not one thing. And I was like, I got a playbook. I know exactly what to do. I've done this before. I'm 25 years old. What can I do wrong? And so I just, nothing works. So we just had to completely reinvent the wheel. So I don't, I don't necessarily think there's one go-to-market strategy that works, but it's definitely, uh, it's very relative to the industry, to the product, to the motion, all, all, the maturity of the market, all that. So that was that was definitely uh, an eye-opening time, but we had a lot of success there. And uh, left Envision after a couple of years, built out an awesome team there. And after that went to, where did I go next? Oh, after that, I traveled around the world for a year. That was fun. And I consulted with a company called Nexmo, who uh, got bought by Vonage. They were a Twilio competitor. And then Typeform, an awesome company out of Barcelona. Uh, I got to live in Barcelona for the summer, and somehow they, they paid me. So that was phenomenal. And uh, ended up going around the world, ran out of money, and was like, I guess I should get a job. And uh, came back to San Francisco with you know a few thousand dollars in debt and uh, got a job at a much different company that was called Red Kicks. And Red Kicks was a really early stage company. I had realized that in my career, I had joined companies that had already found product market fit, and then it was just a growth story. And at Red Kicks, we did not have product market fit. We had a great idea and $20 million. And so we spent about a year whiteboarding, diving into product marketing, and really understanding the different uh, ways that we could go to market. Was it freemium? Was it a sales-led motion? Like, what are we going to do here? And uh, hired a growth person, hired a product marketing person, and hired a salesperson. And that was that was the go-to-market team. And we launched that from scratch through beta, a lot of feedback from early customers, and, and then ended up selling that to, to Meta. And so that was a very different experience where it was product marketing driven. And it was sales driven. We we couldn't make the freemium thing work, and so we 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 let a sales sales driven like higher ACV, bigger deal size. So very very different than anything I'd done before. So uh, I tried, like I said before, I tried what we were, what we did at Envision, and I was like, all right, this is what works now. And then it didn't work. So I was like, okay, we got to figure out what works here for this company and for this motion and for this for this audience. So that was the kind of third different go to market motion that that we built out. Then I went to Building Connected. It was uh, uh, construction software. And this was interesting because we had three concurrent go-to-market motions. We had our POG motion, uh, our freemium motion. We had a sales-driven motion that was kind of a transactional, you know, 15K deal size, two to three month lead cycle. And then we had our one-year seven-figure deal lead cycle. So we built all three of those out concurrently. And had to structure the team very differently, but I felt lucky that I had had basically those three different motions in my past that I could build them all out uh, concurrently. Uh, went there to Autodesk uh, through an acquisition, and then at Autodesk partnered with uh, an awesome guy named David Kane, who 
uh, I'll shout out because he's a good friend. And, and we built out uh, Autodesk Construction Cloud from scratch there. That was just a crazy rocket ship. We, Autodesk had a, cra- a wonderful sales team that uh, worldwide field field ops. And um, so we, we marketed a product that didn't really exist for a few years while, while we built it and then grew to you know, five, 600 million in ARR really quickly. And then left, took some time off, said, I'm not gonna join another company. I'm going to take the year off and I'm going to hang out and I'm gonna rest and relax. And then a month later, a recruiter I really like reached out to me about Apollo. And I said, I'm not looking right now. I told you not to message me. And they told me the Apollo story. And I said, okay, never mind. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And Apollo, of course, is, is an awesome PLG motion. And it really, what's normally a very sales-driven space, it's sales. Sales wants to talk to sales. So we've been, we've been building out that PLG motion um, and that PLSM motion. Probably the first time we've, I've really built a super strong PLSM motion, um, being kind of the last go-to-market motion that I've built. So Every company that I've, I've joined has had a wildly different go-to-market motion, and none of them would have worked at the other company. It's been unique to the space, to the product, to the people, and so it's been it's been fun. Apollo's the crime one. We're we're making it up as we go as well, um, but but it seems to be working. Let's go into like how you mapped out uh, a company that you didn't know the motion of what you do or how would you map out what type of motions, whether it's sales led growth, product led growth, content led growth, whatever, how do you start deciding what to plan and then how do you start making those pieces come together? This is gonna be the most common answer ever, but one of the, one of the mistakes I made when I went into Envision was I said, this is what we're gonna do. This is what works and in two weeks, I alienated everyone. <laughs> like, who is this guy coming in telling us what we're doing isn't right and that, that, that he has the answers? And then I tried stuff and it didn't work. So that was kind of humbling. But obviously, you got to go, like, if you're joining a company who is has found product market fit, something there is working. Something about the motion is working. It may not be perfect, but there's something there. So, like, not starting from scratch, uh, not being no pompous, but uh, at the same time, you got to scale. And when it comes to scaling your, your company, if you found, if you haven't found product market fit, find product market fit. Like that's step one, obviously, of, of the go-to-market motion. Um, even at Apollo, we, we have a, a lot of small businesses where we look at NRR for, for our smallest customers, you know, our one-person founders who are using Apollo. They're all trying to figure out their go-to-market motion. And... We have to segment those very small businesses for do you have product market fit or not? Because if you don't have product market fit, you can spin your wheels all day long on your go to market motion and you still don't have product market fit. Right. So it's we have to look at the sub pool of our smallest businesses and say out of the 100 percent of of total founders that we have, 70 percent of them have product market fit. Let's cut there. And then let's help them figure out their go-to-market motion. So first off, obviously, please have product market fit and then figure out go-to-market. If you have product market fit, like you can make most motions work. It's just it's not going to be as effective as another motion. So the most common way is what? Like you call friends as a founder. You call you call friendlies and you say, hey, try this thing. Like that's that's a go-to-market motion. It's not going to scale, but it's, it works if, you, if your product is actually solving for a real need. So once you have that product market fit, of course, 
at the very earliest stage, the decisions that that we talked through were how much, how challenging is it to implement and understand this product? Like that's a big piece of it. Uh, I remember back in in 2010 or whenever the iPhone came out, it was like, man, all enterprise software, all B2B software should look like, you know, the iPhone. You don't need a manual for the iPhone. It just has, you just press buttons and it works. And it's like, okay, that makes sense maybe for a B2C product. But when it comes to B2B, if all you have is four buttons on your screen and like everything is, is that simple, phenomenal. But it's very, look at Salesforce. That's the least iPhone looking product of all time. Uh, it's the least usable product ever, all time, but uh, I, I don't want to call out Salesforce. It's very challenging, although I'll say for my wife to, to pick up Salesforce versus you. Know. So think about how challenging it is for your product to uh, actually be understood and adopted. And if it's challenging, you're going to need sales. You're going to need implementation. You're going to need people, basically, um, at least to start. And definitely if it's enterprise focused, you're probably going to need people involved in, in that go to market motion. You need to convince people uh, to spend a lot of money on this thing, to go through the hoops of implementation, to trust you. But if, if your product um, can, can be understood and implemented and it is not an incredibly technical thing to do, I think PLG is a great option for you. We are investing heavily, for example, right now in our knowledge base and in our content team because we want to create an academy. Go-to-market is really hard to set up. I'll say that. And people are setting up go-to-market on Apollo. And so we are struggling with that uh, firsthand. How do we help all of these people? They definitely have heard about Apollo. They want to use it, but then they try to and they're like, I don't know what to do. So we could throw, you know, thousands of implementation people and salespeople and one-on-one trainings at these people, or we can figure out a way to do it one to many. And we really believe strongly in PLG. So if we can help people self-service, then we can hopefully have a lot more efficient of a business in our go-to-market motion than if, if we have to go hire an army of people. So I think it really depends on the complication of your product, the existing market for sure. But I'd say at the very beginning, like there's nothing wrong with throwing people at a problem until you figure that out and then automate it. I think a lot of people, what they do when they think of go-to-market, the first hire they think about is, I need to hire a growth person, but sometimes hire a growth person and you scale too quick, you can have the problem that they don't understand your product, they don't understand how to use it, and you're scaling so quick that you can't scale up content fast enough, product marketing fast enough. So how do you decide what teams to start with based on these motions? Because I think that's, I see a lot of people say, I need a growth person. I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, nobody even understands. Like, you need to be able to set the foundations of understanding your product before you can even scale this product. Yeah, I, I can't recommend a really, really good product marketer enough, especially in those early stages. They're going to understand the competition. They're going to understand what they're doing. You're going to be able to look at what's working for other companies, um, understand the audience, rather than just apply this you know, one size fits all go to market on growth. Like, hey, let's spin up some ads and create a blog. And like, okay, is this even the right motion? Or are we going to go invest however many dollars in a motion that doesn't really work? Prezi was like that. Actually, um, we grew too fast. And we were growing so quickly that, you know, we got to 150 million people were using this or try, had tried this thing. Not, not we're using this thing. And we could not figure out activation, for example. So it was just too hard. So people, I was 
22 at the time, so pardon my analogy, but when I, when I was doing marketing there, but, but I, my analogy when I was 22 was like, we invited everyone to a party. It sounded awesome. And then all the, all the kids got there and, and there wasn't any beer and they left. And next week when we invited them back, they're like, nah, I'm good. And so basically we, we, everyone had heard Prezi's amazing, go try it. And they tried it and couldn't figure it out. So they left and to try and convince them to come back was almost impossible. So we, we actually invested and grew too quickly at Prezi, which was uh, a detriment to that business. And, you know, at any given time, we had a few a few million people signing up each month, but it was you know, a very high churn rate. So figuring out the activation motion, figuring out like the parts of the funnel that aren't sexy, that aren't the vanity metrics, and then, you know, priming your company for growth, I think is key. And it's really easy to get lost in these vanity metrics. But of course, right now, when people don't have budget, people are churning, retention is and efficiency is what people care about. I'll say right now, if you look at our hiring plan at Apollo, we're like, hey, we're our top of funnel is growing. That's great. Like we could go pour $20 million on that top of the funnel, but let's go nail the content strategy. Let's go nail the product marketing. Let's go nail the activation. And so if you look at our open roles, it's like almost all content and product marketing because that's what we care about. Like, yes, it's great to see top of funnel. That's growing. It looks good, but let's make sure we're nailing the other parts of the funnel before we just go hire a bunch of growth people and spend $10 million on SEM and all, and all that. So look at the whole funnel. If you join somewhere new, there's going to be a lot of low hanging fruit, like a lot of low hanging fruit. And, um, but, but make sure you're considering the whole funnel there and not getting lost in that, that those vanity metrics that, that everyone loves to see. I think like people forget that marketing is the whole picture. It goes beyond that sales. You have to understand onboarding. You have to understand retention. You got to understand referrals. You got to understand why people are talking about you. You got to understand all that stuff because it, like, for example, when I was at Service Titan, we could scale a lot, but they weren't like necessarily like perfect fit for our product, some people. So we just didn't scale those people until we got to the product to a, a certain place. But there was so much demand for a product like that. We could have just poured money in as a marketing team and not looked at onboarding, how the product could have served the people retention. But instead, we, we focused on who would be most successful first and then started scaling up as we got product better, product marketing better, content better, all that, all that the experience better. Absolutely. It's such a good call out that especially with products that can be used by lots of different types of customers, right? Like uh, Apollo is another good example. We can go after CS. We could go after marketers. We could go after salespeople. We could go after SMBs. We could go after mid-market enterprise. And it's to be unfocused there and just say, hey, let's widen the top of the funnel as much as possible like, and not look at who our core, most retentive, most valuable customers are and really focusing there I think would be a, be a big mistake. Um, there was one other example I remember when I was at Prezi. I was, at the, the time, I was just caring about the top of the funnel. I was like, go as fast as possible. We like created a bunch of like scrapbooking templates and it was a presentation software. We were like, man, we're signing up 4,000 people a week for scrapbooking and uh, showed the CEO and he was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, 
no one cares about people that are here for scrapbooking. There's there's not money in that. That's not even close to our target audience. I was like, but 4,000 people a week. And he was like, stop everything you're doing right now and never do it again. So it's, it's a good point. More ways to grow your business with Typeform. Collect more and better data with forms that embed where people see them. From web to email, Typeform can help you ask the right questions at the right time to reveal deeper insights about your customers and prospects. Learn more and get started for free at typeform.com. I want to go into the content side of things and the why between the importance of content because I think that's getting lost in a lot of marketing teams too. A lot of marketing teams I hear about only talk about, especially in B2B, is how, like, how can we get meta good? How can we get LinkedIn ads good? How can we do this? How can we do that? But they don't, nobody, and they always think of content as like, okay, it's a blog or it's this, it's that. It's not a center of their strategy. So how are you making that a key part of your strategy? There's a, f- a few things happening, right? Budget search ranking, we, we know all these things. And so a lot of companies, especially in the last couple of years, have just, restricted all of their efforts to as close to revenue as possible, like capturing existing demand and doing SEM and, and, and that's where the budget goes. First off, I don't think that's like preparing you for long-term growth. Where are the leads, where's the brand, where's the leads going to be in a year once that demand is dried up? That's like an obvious thing. I'll say I am very passionate about content and brand. And there's, there's easy examples that I'm sure you've probably covered on the show. Like look what HubSpot did with Inbound. You know, they just came in and took over with this this new thing. And that's been that's been like the guiding the guiding marketing strategy for a lot of businesses for the last 10 years or so. And um, I think if you if you look at how they invested in their marketing, 35 people in content and like five in DG. And I'm sure I got those exact numbers wrong. Our 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 head of talent is actually from HubSpot. He hired all of them. So but it was just vastly in a very crowded market, like marketing automation is about as crowded as it gets. They really differentiated through through content. I'll say we did the same thing, same thing in Envision. We we rode a wave of product design becoming really really important to, to businesses. Same thing I was mentioning. The iPhone came out and they're like, "Wow, look at the usability; it matters." And we rode that wave, and we just we captured all of that mind share. By saying product design is the future of business, I think even we, we went as far as making a movie about it, and that really propelled our brand. Just made it not even close. If you were doing product design, you wanted to be associated with the vision. Hired all the top product design thought leaders, and we said, uh, "You work for us now, and and you're writing for us now." And, and created a real big community around it. So, I think especially for for PLG companies, uh, but really any company where word of mouth is more important than ever for any company word of mouth is more important than ever it's just hard for a lot of companies the way to create word of mouth is through a content strategy a brand and a community and it's a lot better to not pay 25 dollars a click for people coming in to even consider you it's a lot better to not do that and to to it's not one or the other right but it's a lot better to have word of mouth and your champions and your community and your content be that driver of, of awareness so it's, it's hard. You have to have a point of view. 
it has to be a little bit controversial. It needs to be, it needs to stand out. You can't just, like you said, just be doing another blog with that chat GBT is writing. But if you can have a little bit of controversial of a, a point of view and you can back it up with your product strategy and marry them, then you can really do a lot with, with word of mouth and content. So we're hiring a lot there. And we're, if, I'll mention some, I'll name drop a little bit. Like Josh Garrison is, he understands sales better than most people I know. He's running our head of content. He was in sales forever. And so I didn't hire a content person necessarily to do that. I hired someone who is an expert at sales and who has really strong opinions. And so he's leading our content strategy. We're not just doing a blog. We're building out an academy. Uh, we're doing a lot of stuff. I, I can't can't say right now. But uh, the other advantage I'll say, and I'll, I'll end that with this, is when you create a strong content strategy and brand and community, you get to detach yourself a little bit from needing product to market like if your whole marketing strategy is just paid acquisition for the products that you have you run out of tam like you run out of activities you run out of budget um you're limited by how often you launch a product like hey we launched a product now we email everyone now we create new ads all right what's next in the launch when's the next launch well it's you know launch got pushed um it's not gonna be ready the beta users didn't like it and so you're like, okay, well, we can't do marketing anymore. Well, we're at the, the mercy of product. But if you, can do, if you can create a really strong content strategy and community, you don't need product. Like that's a bonus. And so that, that, that's a lot of what we're doing right now. I'll say, I'll say last year, we, we really relied on product for marketing. And this year, it's going to be much more of a content strategy and, and community-driven strategy. I think one point you made that was really great is that you hired the content person who's been in sales. Because I always say that the number one most important thing for B2B content is expertise, especially now more than ever. You Like five, 10 years ago, you can get away with writing an article because there wasn't that many articles in there, but now you have to actually have strong opinions in the market. You have to have thought leadership. You have to have a point of view. You can't, some of it has to be original point of view. Some of them could be like, point of views that are shared in the market that everybody believes but nobody's saying but some of them have to be like this is how i would do sales this is how and the need you need someone to do that and that's what gong did with Devin reed he was a sales guy yeah so the best content usually comes from expertise or having experts in in your team that can guide the content because otherwise people sniff the bs from malware you can't build content on that one of the things I always told the content team at, at Envision, it was you know, design software and design app. And I would always say no one in design wants to hear what a marketer has to tell them about design. No one. So we went and hired a bunch of design thought leaders. Right. And uh, similarly, you know, at, at any company I've been in, no one wants to hear what a marketer has to tell them about their job. Sales doesn't want to hear what marketing thinks about about sales. Uh, I mean, parts of it, but you know what I mean. And uh, before that was construction. Construction, our main user was like a 50, 40 to, you know, 55-year-old owner of a construction company. They don't want to hear what a bunch of 25 to 35-year-old San Francisco people have to tell them about construction. So you, if, you can lose that credibility really quick or you can create it. So I think product marketing is huge there. And by product marketing, I mean not just conventional, here's the product, but like understanding the market and the audience and really becoming subject matter experts in product marketing 
And that's possible. Like it's, it's possible for a marketer to become an expert in, in a market. It's going to take a long time, but um, that's not necessarily the person who's, who's, you know, writing, writing the content. It's not necessarily a traditional marketer who you find for, for that. So I, I completely agree. You know, one of my good friends who's in product marketing always tells me and her like strong opinion is that product marketing is less about marketing is more about strategy because it's understanding customer, it's pricing, it's packaging, it's understanding the motion, understanding why people are using the product. It's it's less about like doing the marketing efforts and tactics. It's more about setting the strategy so everybody in marketing could use that data and use that those things to do better marketing. That's why it's so important. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's why you see so many product marketers become, you know, CMOs and that's that's a very normal path. And I I always another bad saying is is that product marketing is the connective tissue within the organization and they're the liaison between everything. <laughs> Uh, and, and luckily I have a, an awesome leader in, in, in Hallie Hallie Pinard who understands that for sure I would be lost without product marketing I'll say that for someone who like you who came into a company early um, and was just figuring out what are some steps that you took to just figure it out because I think a lot of marketers out there are just figuring it out right now there are going to be very strong opinions in a small company who are figuring things out. And I'm sure you can guess whose opinion will be strongest. But uh, it's a lot of one-on-one time with, with with the CEO, honestly. And it depends on what sort of funding you have. But you got to be able to, to convince people to spend some money. And, of course, we did all of the, the, the usual things we we had wonderful advisors and, and, and a wonderful board who would help us get potential customer interviews and kind of understands what their pain points were and uh, what they were using and uh, what their buying process looked like. So there's a ton of research that, of course, happens. I think when it comes time to we think we might have product market fit, but we got to find some people to use it to see if we truly do. That's when I think it it becomes valuable to spend a little bit of money. And that's when I think paid is actually really useful. If you have a product, you have a funnel that actually works, you can at least take a demo call, then then spend a little money. Like there's so much demand that you can just capture that you can validate really quickly your assumptions. And so I'll, I'll say Red Kicks, for example, we've spent a lot of money on PR and, you know, did all of the the traditional things for our first ever kind of GA launch of that product. It was a GA beta. So it was really a beta launch, but it was our coming out party. We had been in stealth mode the whole time. I just said, like, I need $2,000. So we did like a soft launch with, with $2,000. And we just looked at like very obvious uh, keywords that people are already looking for something that you do. So you can find out pretty quickly if it's uh, you know a, a free trial sign up. You can actually see what they're doing, um, or if it's a, a sales funnel. You can get some feedback from people that aren't friends and are, are going to give you like real feedback. And you're going to see what a real sales call is going to be like. You're going to see uh, people be like, "What the hell are you doing? This doesn't make sense." Whereas a friendly might be like, "Oh, okay, I get it." I do recommend that's a good time to spend a little bit, like a very controlled test, and to understand if you truly have product market fit. If this motion even works. 
can get for a, a couple thousand dollars, you can get a lot of feedback. You can get a lot of people using the thing and trying the thing. And, and in our case, we got a few champions who actually uh, we could work with both uh, for feedback and, and, and to perpetuate it uh, within their organization. I think spending actually a little bit once you feel like you have product market fit is, is a good idea, but you got to be able to get buy-in from whoever's funding it that you shouldn't expect, you know, 5x ROI on this. It's like, this is, you should expect basically what you're spending on R&D. Like this is in prep for go-to-market. Paid is one of the best ways to test messaging too. Absolutely. Because you can send out a bunch of little ads, spend a little bit on those ads and see what is hitting and what is not in the market and find out what messaging works without blowing your budget. Like back in the day, you would have to get a TV ad or a radio ad to just figure out if you're, and you couldn't even tell if your messaging was working, but now you can run a small test online and figure out with a couple of thousand bucks, like, is this going to work or not? You can even do that at larger companies, right? Like, we geofence things and we spend some money and see if it works. Uh, if we want to test different pricing and packaging, let's not roll it out for everyone. Let's let's see what uh, Vancouver thinks or let's see what Portugal thinks, you know, and de-risk a lot of the decisions that, that we make by, by by spending a little bit of money. What is a marketing hill you would die on? I got so many hills that I would die on. One that I would die on is that it's not brand or growth. It's not like investing in brand because you can't track it isn't going to catalyze demand gen. It's not like investing in demand gen is different than investing in brand or uh, investing in SCM is, is different than investing in, you know, in brand. I think it's all it all catalyzes each other and that if you're doing demand gen right, you're doing paid right, you're doing performance marketing right, it should be a catalyst for the brand. If you're doing brand right, it should be a catalyst for your, for your bottom of funnel demand gen efforts. So that, that's certainly a hill. I have a lot of hills, though. I think uh, companies that are failing to, I, I guess in a similar vein, companies that are failing to invest in the top of the funnel because they can't track that is, uh, you know, preparing to, the failure to prepare for the future is, for, is preparing to fail. Like you're, you're, you're really going to drive your funnel. You're going to capture all the demand that, that already exists. And it's not true demand generation. It's demand capture. So I would say invest in demand generation, not just demand capture as another one. I got one more that I'll die on. Stop spending 90% of your time trying to get the perfect attribution model because it doesn't exist. You know, you got to be okay with like 80%. You got to say, here is an attribution model that we all agree is good enough. Unless we're going to spend two years and a million dollars, it's never going to be perfect. So you got to be okay with a little bit of ambiguity and at least directionally know what's going on. Last question is where can people find you and what you're doing and what Apollo up there? Yeah, obviously, uh, Apollo.io, we're trying to make world-class go-to-market accessible to everyone. Uh, we're all in one from from marketing to sales to RevOps, help you go build your business from scratch. It's free to start. It's free forever, actually, on certain plans. And we're growing like wildfire because we're taking what used to be limited to the best companies in the world with all the money to really go spend millions of dollars on, on go to market. We're bringing that to everybody. So that's really our, our goal and our vision is let's make this world class go to market really accessible to any single person in the world and let's help people grow their business. So check it out. We're growing like crazy because we're actually delivering those results. So check us out at Apollo.io. And of course, you can you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm sure it's David Malpass. And, uh, it's not the World Bank president. It's the other one. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. 
If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.